if you watch the news, or in particular if you pay attention to politics, you may have heard of these people called fact checkers. You guys heard of these people? Yeah. yeah. They've become quite common, haven't they? Um, they seem quite new, but actually the first fact-checking organization was established in 2003 while President Bush was in the, uh, in the White House. Uh, and now there's dozens of these organizations, and each newspaper actually has a fact-checker on staff now. It's become qu quite a big thing. And the idea is that these organizations are going to listen to what politicians say and people of influence say, and they're going to tell you if what they're saying is true or not. They're going to assure us that. And they all have these scales that they use. Uh, they all kind of try to get creative with how they rate what is true, what is false. One, one organization rates it like this. They rate something as true, mostly true, half false, or half true, mostly false, false, wait for it, pants on fire. <laughs> That's its scale. The Washington Post, it's most well known for its Pinocchios. Have you guys heard of this? The Washington Post gives things Pinocchios. So based on a lie, something can get zero Pinocchios if it's the truth. If it's a big lie, they give it four Pinocchios. And they put literally a, piece, a picture of Pinocchio's face with a big old nose, and that's how they rate truth. Well, their stated goal is that they want us to be assured, right, of what we are hearing is the truth, what is actually true, if it's based on reality. But what can be confusing is some of these organizations, what they will say is true, another one will say is mostly false, and it can just get kind of confusing out there. Well, I think that we can agree that God views truth quite differently, uh, especially if we are of the truth. Can we say that? You know, in our, in our, in our book of 1 John that we've studied so far, so far, he's talked about, John's told us that we're either walking in light or walking in darkness. I didn't notice that he mentioned dawn or dusk or shade. It was just light or darkness, right? He says we're either children of God or we're children of the devil. He didn't list any other parental figures as options, did he? It's children of God or children of the devil. Because with salvation, there's no sliding scale. Someone cannot be almost saved or mostly saved or almost lost, mostly lost. You're either saved or you're unsaved. And, and these distinctions have dire consequences, right? I mean, if we are saved, we're going to spend eternity in heaven in the presence of God, in the presence of our creator who created us and the, the universe and everything we see around us. If we spend eternity in hell, we are in hell, uh, unsaved, and away, apart from the presence of God. So this is the most important distinction of our lives. And so it's very important that we can know for sure, are we truly saved, that we can have this assurance. And in our passage today, John uh, writes to us about how we can have that type of assurance, how we can know we are of the truth. We can examine our faith and look at our path of sanctification and pattern of obedience, and we can find confidence and assurance before God. So let's start by reading our passage today in 1 John 3, starting in verse 19. By this we know, we shall know, that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. When we look at the 
amazing grace of our Lord and just the act of salvation, we should really step back and marvel, shouldn't we? I mean, our text says today we are of the truth, and we commonly use the word save to refer to being of the truth, right? But you've heard it before. When you use the word saved, it, it, it leads to the question, saved from what? What are we saved from? Well, we're saved from the penalty of our sin. Romans 6.23, it's a familiar verse, hopefully, to you. It sternly warns us of the penalty of our sin and God's solution. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God solved our sin problem by laying the penalty of our sin on his son, and the price has been paid. And Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard, and because of that, we deserve that penalty of death. But if we've responded to that solution in repentance and faith, the Bible says that we can be saved. We can be of the truth. And, th- and that's the gospel, right? That's the good news. Well, when, we, when we come to repentance and faith and, to, and, and, and are saved, the Bible says that we're given a new heart and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, our, our passage today is going to talk a lot about the heart and the, and the role it plays uh, with us. And this new heart that we get, Ezekiel 11 verses 19 through 20, it, it describes it this way. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Well, it sounds like once we get that new heart and that spirit, we're just going to be smooth sailing, right? We're just going to be walking around, obeying God, it's all going to be good. Well, God may have given us that new heart, but he gave it to us in fallen flesh. We don't get that new body until eternity, right? We are still in fallen flesh. So we are still going to fall short. James 3, 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We are all still going to stumble in many ways. And who of us can actually say right now we could bridle our whole body, let alone our mouth, right? Galatians 5.17 talks about this battle that's going to wage within each one of us with the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We will continue to miss the mark even after we're saved. But because we have a regenerate heart, we will know when we sin. We will know when sin is present in our lives. Our text today in verse 20, it says, for whenever our heart condemns us, that word condemn, it means to convict. When we sin, we feel that pang of conviction if we're Christians, that we've done something wrong. It should feel bad. It should feel uncomfortable. Because we know we've sinned against a holy God, and we know that sin is a big deal to God. It put Christ on the cross. It's a big, big deal. Conviction is our check engine light, that something is wrong. And we need to remember, for Christians, we should expect conviction when we sin. So that's point number one, expect conviction when you sin. Well, what is conviction exactly? We can say it's a feeling, but it's defined as this, the proving or finding of guilt of an offense charged. Another definition is a state of being convinced that one has acted in opposition to conscience, admission of the conscience. We're going against what we know is right. Well, what if our heart 
never condemned us? What if we went days, weeks, months, years without our heart condemning us? That would be a red flag, right? And the Bible says that no one is without sin. We need to expect to be convicted. The world will tell us to suppress that conviction. They're going to tell us, you know, why would you feel bad for doing that? Don't beat yourself up over it. It's not a big deal. They're going to tell us just to put those feelings aside and move forward, right? Everyone's doing it. Everyone's saying it. Well, what would happen if we did that? What would happen if we just put those feelings of conviction aside and and pushed on forward? It would be like if we took some crazy pain medication that would literally just kill every pain sensor in our body. Let's say we're baking, it's big right now, baking bread, right, since COVID in these, in these Dutch ovens. You've seen it online. People are all baking this bread. We're baking bread in a Dutch oven, and it's in a 450-degree oven. We've taken this pain medication, and we go, bread's done. We're going to go get it out of the oven. We say, ah, I, don't need, I don't need those oven mitts because I, I took this pain medication. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to grab that 450-degree Dutch oven out of the oven. And, and we do that, and whoa, we don't feel any pain. It's amazing. But then we look at our hands, and we're missing, like, four layers of skin, it didn't matter that we don't feel the pain. The damage has been done. The damage still is done. We've still sinned against God, even when we suppress that conviction. And conviction is not just feeling guilty or shame. I mean, the world feels guilt or shame. We see this often in non-believers. They can feel guilty about what they do. Usually it involves somebody else. They may feel guilty about what they said to somebody or what they did to somebody, and it's hurt someone else. And We can praise God that they feel guilty for hurting another person, but we know as Christians, we don't even have to have another person involved to sin. God is involved every single time we sin. We can sin in our thoughts, we can sin in what we do, and we can sin in what we fail to do that we know we should have done. Our verse today says, for whenever our heart condemns us, it doesn't say, you know, that one time your heart condemned you. It says whenever. It means it's going to happen more than once. Because it keeps our hearts soft. Conviction keeps our hearts soft. Because without it, we would just sin and, you know, we would just unchecked, right? We would just keep on doing wrong and never think twice about it. And that one soft heart that God has given us, it would callous over, callous over, callous over and be once again hard. Conviction keeps our hearts soft and keen to the Holy Spirit's prompts. And as women, we need to keep our hearts soft and attune to conviction and sin in all areas of our lives. We talk a lot, don't we, women? We say, they say 20,000 plus words a day. We had an entire retreat based on words called Women and Words, right? If you made it, it was great. We talked about just the power of words. And I'm sure you've experienced a time when you've sinned with your words because we've used too many. Proverbs 10:19 says, when our words are many, transgression is not lacking. We need to expect conviction when the words we speak come out and they are not true, they're not honorable, they're not uplifting. We need to expect conviction. Or what about meeting the needs of others? Maybe we're just being selfish with our stuff. Maybe we're being selfish with our time and our money and there have been opportunities to love on others and help others and we have let them pass on by. We learned about this last week from Heather, right? We're to love in action. 1 John 3, verse 18 says, Little children, do not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We need to feel that sting of conviction when we see a need and we don't meet it. Conviction plays such a huge part in our salvation, right? John 6, 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
And you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with conviction? <laughs> but I'm going to ask you, how did God draw you to him? What did he use to draw you to him? Was it like something we see on TV with the rose petals and this like wonderful, you know, walk towards God? No, he used conviction, right? He started showing you the sin in your life. He lifted the veil and suddenly you saw sin the way God sees sin. He used conviction to draw you to him. We see it in the baptisms every time we have people in the baptism tanks, right? No one gets up there and, and, and doesn't say, and I realized I was a sinner. They, every single person says, and then I realized I was a sinner. Conviction plays a huge part in our sanctification. It doesn't stop at our conversion. It plays a huge part in our sanctification. Because without conviction, sanctification couldn't take place. It's that process of once we are saved, God is refining us. He's making us more holy, more like his son. He's helping us to flush out sin. He's helping us to grow in the fruit of the spirit. That's what sanctification is. And that cannot take place without conviction. And John is speaking to those who are believed to be saved in his passage today. He's giving them a reason, reasons to be reassured of their salvation Again, our passage reads, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. When our heart condemns us, our passage today speaks, um, as our passage speaks, some of us may fall into doubt, right? A state of feeling like we've just blown it too big this time. We've crossed a line that cannot be crossed back over again. Or maybe you start to doubt if you're even truly saved. And unfortunately, many of us can stay in this state for far too long. In our second verse in verse 20, um, in the second half of verse 20, John gives us this note of reassurance. He says, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything because our heart may convict us, but we need to remember that God is the only one who can truly condemn and while it can be scary sometimes to think about God being omniscient and knowing everything about us, our deepest, darkest secrets, every sin we've committed, what we're thinking, I mean, that can kind of be scary. But on the flip side, he also knows how far he's brought us so far in our walk. He knows how much we've grown in our fruit. He knows how much sin we've overcome. And that should be reassuring I have a friend who uh, had a premature baby, uh, thankfully to God and to modern medicine. Um, he's now two and a half years old. But with premature babies, you have to take them to doctor's appointments more often just to make sure that they are gaining weight and hitting certain milestones and things like that uh, more often than you would a full-term child. And so she just recently took him to his two and a half year appointment. And she was going in very confident that this was going to go very, very well. But when they got there, they realized not only had he not gained weight, he had lost weight. And he wasn't even on the charts for most of those milestones. And so she left very, very discouraged uh, to the point of tears. She said, she said she cried more tears in her words than she would like to admit. And she stayed in that state for a while. But then she got out her phone and started to flip back and look at pictures from when this child was in the NICU. And he's like the size of her forearm. He's in the incubator with tubes coming out. She has a video of him and she's feeding him a bottle. And this child can't even keep his eyes open. Just a couple sucks from that bottle just wore this child's body out. And then from those pictures, she looked up and here is this child in her house running around, chasing the dog, saying words, eating food. 
And she realized, look how far God has brought him, right? It was a setback, but look how far God has brought this child. And we need to do the same thing. Hopefully, if we're Christians, we can look back and see the road of sanctification that we've been placed on and see the holiness that God has grown us in, and it should be evident, right? We should ask ourselves, am I sinning less than I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Do I, am I bearing more fruit over the years? What new fruit have I seen? It should be evident. When we sin and, and conviction and inevitably sets in, we can't stop and camp out in it. We cannot pitch that tent and build that campfire because when we do that, the forward progression stops. We can't allow it to halt that forward progression that God desires truly for our lives. This is not what conviction was meant to do. This was not conviction's job. When we wallow in our failures, this is when we grow, um, when we grow unsure of our standing with God. We start to doubt. Our confidence dwindles. And we start to pull away in shame. You know, maybe we don't go to him as prayer, into prayer as much. Maybe we're pulling away from Christian friends. We don't want to fellowship as much with our, our Christian friends. And, you know, Satan would love nothing more than for us to sit here in this state as long as possible. He would love nothing more than for us to sit there in doubt, not going to God in prayer, not being around friends who are going to sharpen us as iron does. You know, sin has immense weight. We all probably can agree with that, but conviction should have immense power. If you're a Christian, you must expect conviction when you sin, but you must also expect conviction to do what it's supposed to do. So what do we need to do to restore that confidence if we've lost it? Number two on your outline is turn from sin to restore your confidence. Turn from sin to, to restore your confidence. Verse 21 in our passage today says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. If we've returned from our sin and repentance, we will not have conviction in our hearts and our confidence will be restored. Uh, my, one, of my, one of my kids one time took something uh, from my husband and we knew it was him right off the bat that had done it and we announced to the family that this thing was missing and uh, that whole day we, we kind of just waited to see if this child would come to us and admit what he'd done. And throughout the day we watched him and uh, he pretty much avoided us at all costs. If we walked into a room he left. He would not make eye contact with us. I don't think he asked me for one thing all day. And this is like my major snacker. You know, he's always asking for food. He didn't ask me for one thing all day. I mean, he just avoided us. And so by the end of the day, we did approach him and asked him about this. And he immediately just crumbled and admitted to what he'd done um, and just repented. And it was a true repentance. He felt horrible about what he had done. And once discipline and forgiveness had taken place, I mean, he was a new child. I mean, this child who had avoided us this entire day, we sat down to watch a movie that night, and he's like, can I cuddle in between you guys? And he's just he's rubbing his shoulder on me. I mean, he couldn't get close enough to us because our relationship had been restored. But not only that, his confidence around us had been restored. And that's what we need to do with God. We need to know when we fall short, we tend to shy away, especially when it, goes, when it comes to going to God in prayer, and it eats at us. It's heavy. King David knew this all too well when he had a time of unconfessed sin. In Psalm 32, verse 3 through 4, he describes it this way. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I mean, that sounds horrible, right? Who would want to stay in that state? Verse 21 and 22 in our passage today, again, it reminds us, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And that word confidence, it means boldness. And this is not an arrogant, prideful boldness. This is that assurance before God boldness. This is this assurance that there's no unfinished business between you and God and your closeness and intimacy with him can flourish. You know, it's not like we serve a God that makes us go crawl and grovel and tug at his pant leg and with forgiveness, right? I mean, if you know anything about the character of God, you know God is ready and willing to forgive us. We learned this back in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that word cleanse. You know, it's like that amazing shower, right? The best shower you've ever taken. You're clean from everything. God's desire is that we come to him in repentance and that we do it quickly because delayed repentance is just as bad as delayed conviction. You're not moving forward. You're at a halt. You're at a stop in your walk. But do you actually believe that God forgives you when you confess, when you uh, repent of your sins? Do you truly believe that he forgives you? Because this could be an area of sin in your life. If you're going to God in repentance and following all these, I guess, steps of repentance, but then truly in your heart, not believing that God is washing it away, that he is cleansing you. We need to believe that God truly forgives. If we have a confident heart, it will affect our prayer life. Um, we see that in our text today. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. When we're confident in our faith, confident in our standing with God, <clears throat> we can approach God in prayer with boldness, right? I mean, it says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. But are we asking him for the things that we should be in prayer? You know, a lot of prayer requests are, we center around the here and now, right? God, I, I you know, we really, I need a new job, Lord. I, I would love a new house, Lord. We, we need a bigger house. We have a bigger family. Um, you know, you might be praying for things for your children. And things like this are not bad things to pray for, right? But if you contrast it with how much time you're spending in prayer about sanctifying issues in your life, what does that look like? How much time are you praying for God to grow you to be more like Christ? You know, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 6, he, he gives us that model of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And, and he says, give us this day our daily bread, which means give us what we need. Give us our needs. You know, what we need is to be growing more like Christ. We need to be moving forward in our walk. So what can we pray for that will help us? Well, first we need to pray for more hatred towards sin. We need to pray for more hatred towards sin. I mean, we can look around the world and I, I think see so much sin in the world, right? And it disgusts us and it angers us and our blood boils at times. I think anyone can admit, right? But do you feel that way about your own sin? I mean, really, if you're honest, do you feel that way about your own sin? Does your blood boil? We need to pray for more hatred towards our sin. We need to pray for more obedience to God and specifically immediate obedience, not delayed obedience, where is God asking you to obey right now? And why are you delaying? Is it maybe submission to your husband? Maybe it's forgiving somebody that's hard to forgive. You need to do it immediately. Matthew 9, 9, I just love this verse. I, we actually, I use it with my kids all the time when we talk about first-time obedience. 
Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, rose and followed him. I mean, if you look at this text, the command and the response is immediate. There's nothing in between. There's no but, but, or in a minute, or why. It's just immediate obedience. We need to pray for more immediate obedience. We need to pray for more spiritual fruit. Bearing fruit is an indicator that we are walking in the Spirit. Talks about that in Galatians 5, right? If you were here over the summer, Pastor Mike did a wonderful series uh, called Summer Fruit that went through all the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, If you didn't listen to it, I highly recommend it. But if you did, you can remember he went through each single one of these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And what what I loved about this series was that not only did I walk away with conviction that there were areas I needed to grow, areas I needed to improve, but I also walked away seeing where God had already taken me. It was encouraging too. We need to make sure we see both sides of that, where God has already taken you and where you still need to go. Pray for more spiritual fruit. Well, we've been a Christian for a while. We've been walking our walk for a while. We've been sanctified for a while. We probably have overcome a lot of sin. We can look back and see many victories, and we should always celebrate victory over sin, always. It's a big deal. But sometimes, maybe we've overcome some really big sins we've been battling for a while. And so we kind of say, whew, so glad I did that. Let's, uh, let's get the hammock up, kick back, and relax, right? That was hard work. We cannot grow complacent. We cannot grow complacent if we see progression because complacency can soon morph into comfort and then we can be back into a state of doubt because we're not moving forward. So we cannot grow complacent. We need to keep moving forward in our walk. Well, how can we stay close in that relationship to our Lord and enjoy our salvation and keep yearning for more growth? Our passage today, John, gives us exactly what we need to do to continue in that confidence before the Lord. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. We've heard that word abide over and over and over again in this book of 1 John so far, haven't we? And again, as a reminder, it means to reside or to remain. And I don't know about you, but I just really think it's a, a word of comfort. I just, I, it's a word of closeness, of intimacy to abide in God, right? And he in us. And this is the type of relationship we should really want with our Lord. We should desire this with our Lord. And John is telling us if we want this kind of relationship to be abiding in God and he in us, then we have to stay obedient to his commands. So point number three is stay close to Christ by doing what he says. Stay close to Christ by doing what he says. And John brings us back to the most important commandment here. If followed, it will ensure that we keep growing in Christ and keep abiding in him. It says we're to believe in Jesus and to love others. And Heather did a great job last week laying out what it truly means to love others. It's, it's that evidence that we see that we're the real deal, that we're not phonies, that we're not fake, if we are showing love to others. And it needs to be an action. But we're not only to love others, we're to love Christ. If we're a Christian, we need to be loving Christ. And Jesus told his disciples how they could show that they love him. 
In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I say. Our text gives us another guarantee when it says, whomever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So when we obey and keep God's commandments, we can have assurance that we are abiding in God and God in us. And our obedience, uh, it doesn't end at obeying the gospel or even acting in obedience to, you know, to get baptized. Our obedience keeps going as we grow in Christ. In fact, as we see that path of salvation, we should be seeing sin less and obedience more. Sin should decrease and obedience should increase. You know, many people claiming Christianity in the world, uh, if you ask them how they became a Christian, you know, they might say something like, I, I said a prayer, uh, I, I answered an altar call, and then you may follow up a question saying something like, well, how have you grown in your obedience to Christ? Or, you know, what fruit did you see once you were converted? What, what fruit did you start bearing in your life? And you will get a blank stare oftentimes because there hasn't been any forward progression no forward progression is evident. So we can be sure that we abide in God if we keep his commandments, and we can be sure that we're moving forward as well. But John piles on one more layer of assurance for us as we read on. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he's given us. We know that we have the Holy Spirit if we see that path of progression of sanctification in our walk, because there's no way we could do it on our own. Because genuine obedience is doing the right thing for the right motives. And the only way we can do that is with the Holy Spirit. He's the only reason we are able to repent as God commands, to obey as God commands, and to love as God commands. He's the only way it's possible. Again, our, our text says, by this we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the evidence we see that can assure us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. As we walk our Christian walk becoming like Christ, we're not doing it alone. We're not all by ourselves. Christ is with us. But not only that, he's given us the Holy Spirit to physically be with us. And he talks about this in John 14, 16. Jesus says to his disciples, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it either knows him, neither sees him nor knows him. Right? Non-believers, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And then how about this for assurance? He says then, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know him. We have God abiding in us. I mean, really think about it. Really let it sink in for a minute if you haven't in a while. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. We have Jesus, the great high priest, as the advocate before the Father. We are not alone in this. And not only does our God saves us, save us, I mean, he's so gracious and merciful to even save us from our sin, but then he helps us to walk in his ways and obey his commands. He gives us this helper. He helps us. He refines us as time goes on. And we have a clear path behind us that can assure us that we are his. As many people have uh, this year, I began homeschooling my kids. And so they are home full time. And I have a fourth grader. And this year is fourth grade California history. So we're going through that. And I'm not from California, so this is all a little more new to me. So it's been pretty interesting. But we just finished up our, our, our um, unit on missions, the missions. And, you know, that's about 
the 21 missions that have been built in California, nine of which that were built by uh, Father Junipero Serra, probably a familiar name. We have a road named after him here in Orange County. And we learned about this path that he took, uh, uh, Father Serra, from San Diego, and it eventually led all the way up to Monterey. And if you were to take that path, you would see all of his achievements, which were these missions that he built as you went along this path. In fact, this path is so great that they, they kept it around and they've actually built roads over it. And the roads bear its original name, El Camino Real, which means in Spanish, the royal road. But it's more commonly known as the King's Highway. Well, if we're Christians, we've been placed on the King's Highway, so to speak, right? It looks a lot different from, you know, your highway may look different from another's highway, but um, you may, may be making let, you know, slower progress than someone else. Someone may be making faster progress, but our hope is that we're all moving forward. We've been placed on the King's Highway. And that we can look back and we can see how much God has grown us in our lives. In the fruit of the Spirit, in holiness. We can look back and see that and be assured that when we look forward, we know where we are going. We know where that road ends. We can have that assurance. We won't need fact checkers for that, right? John has given us so much encouragement throughout this book of 1 John. Our passage today, just he assures our hearts that we can know we are of the truth. We don't, we don't serve a God who keeps us in the dark, who makes us sit there with our fingers crossing, I hope I go to heaven. We serve a God that's not only good and loving enough to save us in the first place, but to give us this blessed assurance that we are genuinely his. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. For this book of 1 John as a whole and the assurance it has given us of salvation, you so clearly lay out what we need to be looking for and where we need to be trusting you, Lord. We know, Lord, that you ultimately do all the work and our closest with you is the most important thing. We just keep moving forward, keep growing in holiness, keep growing in the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. I pray this for all these women that we will continue to move forward, that we can see the progress that you have made in our lives and share it with one another and rejoice together, Lord. Thank you so much for these women. Thank you for Compass Women's Bible Study. Thank you for this weather you've given us and just that you could bless us with such a beautiful morning to open your word and to meditate on it and think about it and use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.